Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Secret Life of Cookies. Bosco the dog is here at my side being extremely fluffy and cute after his turn this week as an internet sensation. If you check out my Twitter feed, you'll see what all the fuss was about. And speaking of Twitter feeds, I have the king of Twitter himself, Jeremy Newberger, that's Mr. Newberger to you, who has made the Bird app a great place to be over the past few years thanks to his humor and gift with snark. He also happens to be an accomplished Emmy-nominated film director. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed making it. You can find the recipe for this episode at my substack, marissarodkopf.substack.com, and please subscribe. And one quick ask, if you could leave a review of the podcast on Apple, that would be very much appreciated. It helps with that good old algorithm, which means more people can learn about this here podcast. And that means more people knowledgeable about the truth in politics and cookies. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. With me, Mr. Jeremy Newberger. I have been your biggest fan on Twitter since forever. Welcome. Is it my turn to talk? Well, hello. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you may talk and tell me how to get the chipmunk out of my house. That's what today's show is going to focus on. Just me. What do they eat? Because I to the put p- whatever they eat in a little trail from your fridge to the front door and see if that works. I'm no yeah, exterminator, I- but that's my move. <laughs> I did put one peanut out in front of the refrigerator. It is now gone. Oh. Well, you need more peanuts, it sounds like. (laughs) You give them one peanut, you teach a man how to fish. There's some expression. I'm not remembering it. but If you give a chipmunk a peanut, he's going to want some syrup to go with it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We're like those. I was watching recently those old uh, 1980s Reese's Buttercup commercials, you recall, Mm. where a guy is coming down the street with his chocolate and a woman coming down from the other way with her peanut butter and they have this meet cute, slam into each other, and that, that's how it was discovered. I don't know if they do ads as good as that one anymore, but that one uh, I'm still thinking about all these years later. Of course, right. Your peanut butter fell into my cho- My chocolate fell into your peanut butter. Your peanut butter got on right. my chocolate. Two great tastes that go get great together. I must say that every day. If you watch that commercial now, you'll see it, it feels like soft porn. It's very suggestive. The music is, you know, as wonka wonka as it can be. (laughs) And uh, just give it a watch when you have a chance. I am now adopting the phrase wonka wonka. Um, (laughs) But for for those of you who uh, don't follow Jeremy on Twitter, you should, not least of which, I, I mean, aside from being the CEO of your own independent filmmaking company called Ironbound Films, and you make documentaries, including one that I have watched called, I don't mean that oh. I haven't watched any of your documentaries. I mean, it like the one I watched most recently was, is from 2013. It is called Evocateur and it's all about, mm. or really Evocateur because it's like more Jersey and um, it's all about Morton Donnie <laughs> Jr. And 
there were so many parallels to today, so many sort of foreshadowing towards today in that film. I want to talk about that in a second. But in the meantime, as this is also a show where we bake, I asked you, Mr. Newberger, what do you want to bake? And you had an idea. I did. I should tell your audience, I told this to you before, that I am a type <laughs> 2 diabetic. So when you invited me on the show about cookies, I felt like God was punishing me. So I oh, figured, well, why, don't we, <laughs> why don't we still try and make cookies, but we'll do them the diabetic-friendly way. And I have a, a good recipe for, for all of you uh, type 1, type 2s out there who can't have sugar. I've recently become a believer in monk fruit. You familiar with what that is? I am indeed. I have gone through periods in my baking career where I've used a lot of monk fruit to great success, yeah, well, so I might add. Monk fruit, I find, is a great sugar substitute without the chemical taste. And uh, Lakanto is the brand that I chose or choose. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, this cookie recipe today is like almond flour, monk fruit, butter, and sugar-free chocolate chips. So there's nothing in here that I can't eat. And when you're a diabetic, you learn, you know, when you find out you have diabetes, the first thing you think about is all the things you can't eat. And I've been trying to be a forward eater, thinking about <laughs> the things I can eat. And I like that. This is one of them. This became a quick and easy recipe that I, I'll probably hit this, you know, once a month, there'll be a batch of these cookies in the house. So when I feel like I can't partake in whatever cake my kids are eating, I can whip out right. one of these cookies and feel the sweetness of monk fruit. And also like the texture of cookie, right? Like cook, that's sort of yeah. a, an important thing, depending on, there are so many textures of cookie to enjoy. I um, am a big fan also of almond flour, which I'm quietly playing with here. There should be some music as I quietly fondle. <laughs> The um, here, this is me quietly fondling some uh, almond flour, <laughs> right? Because it adds protein and it mm. also adds moisture to a cookie, and it doesn't add much flavor. And I had an entire conversation, and this will be fascinating to every single person in the United States. My car did not start, so I called the AAA, as I have um, mm -hmm. AAA membership, and I got this wonderful guy on the phone. And for some reason, we started talking about recipes. And he said that his partner was going on the keto diet. And I quickly said, mm. oh, my gosh. And then launched into a conversation that I'm sure got him fired because we like talked for 10 minutes about keto recipes. And the big deal with keto recipes is using almond flour, right? And Yeah, um, yeah diabetes and keto are very similar uh, restrictions and solutions. And I use almond flour all the time in chocolate chip cookies. Today, I have not gone the monk fruit route, though. I've gone the coconut flour, the coconut sugar route to just because there's yeah. some people in the world like Marilou Henner, I think, who think, remember Marilou Henner from Taxi? Yeah. You're probably a little too young yeah, for that, but Taxi, and she had all what? sorts of crazy. I watched Taxi. <laughs> she had all sorts of crazy theories about if you eat this first, then you'll lose weight. But if you eat that first, you will not lose weight. And I'm sure she thinks she could also tell you what she was. She could tell you what she was eating in like 1974 <laughs> on like Monday, the 11th of October. Exactly. Right. You <laughs> yeah. know what the memory? The memory. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. She is like a like a savant. Yeah. 
she's like on yeah. 60 minutes in a panel and she's naming things that she did and when and she's she's got superpowers i wish i had that one i know i wish i had that one too i i think my superpowers are well i don't know the, the, so i gave this man back at triple a my keto style brownie recipe which uses almond flour and you'd never know by any means and you could use monk fruit and sugar in yours I think the trick with monk yeah. fruit sugar is to always make sure that the moisture level is high in whatever you're baking because mm-hmm. it tends to dry things out. If I, you made a chocolate mayonnaise cake and substituted monk fruit sugar, you'd be so happy with okay. the results. Before I stumbled on this cookie recipe, we were making pound cake as the sort of diabetes mm-hmm. diagnosis go-to, need some cakey sweetness. And yeah. that was almond flour also. And then I found through a few different recipes that the things we were baking all tasted like the pound cake. And that, that was sort of why I sought out something that was this different feeling. And these cookies were great. They didn't taste like the pound cake. They tasted like cookies. And I use, uh, I use what is it, uh, Lily's Dark Chocolate Baking Chip. Yep. Uh, and Wesley Farms makes a nice super fine almond flour. That's what I'll be using today in addition to my Lakanto. Perfect. And if any of those companies would like to sponsor this podcast, uh, just call after the show. Thank you. <laughs> well, some funny. I, I asked Lakanto to sponsor me, you know, as like an influencer. And they wrote me a lovely letter back that they only sponsor Instagram, Pinterest, the more visual social media. So I said, but wait, I'm Mr. Newberger, the Twitter, yeah. you know, phenom. And they said, yeah, that's not kind of our thing. And then, even though I wasn't their target for influencer, they sent me a box of like Glacanto goodies. So I've been through like, you know, vanilla drops you can put in your water to brownie (laughs) mixes, cake mixes. Uh, My house is fully stocked with Glacanto products after that. Just one tweet. I didn't get the job as an influencer, but I got the goodies. That's the moral of the story. Always ask. Always ask. Okay, I'm going to get on. I think that's a great idea. I have followed you. I have laughed and cried along with your tweets about, I mean, you sort of held my hand through a lot of the Trump administration. And I appreciate that. This week, though, you may have had your best tweet yet with the picture from the golf course. Would you like to tell people who haven't seen it yet? I'll give you the, I mean, anyone can just look me up and see this tweet. It's pinned right now. Uh, and it seems to have gone viral, but I'll give you like the behind the scenes of a tweet, <laughs> the anatomy of a tweet. I was eating dinner with my wife and my daughter at a place called the Dog House, uh, <laughs> a chain of, you know, hot dog, you know, hamburger places. And we were coming back and my daughter insisted on sitting on the, in the front seat of the car, which she's starting to do lately. And I can't argue. It seems to be like uh, maybe her foray into feminism. You know, why am I in the back seat, you know? Why are the gender roles, all of that. So I kind of was sitting in the back, you know, screwing around. And I kept seeing this photo on all the usual sites that I visit on Twitter. And the photo was of Trump on the golf course in Virginia after an evening flight he took that was sort of a mystery overnight. Where was he going? Was he getting indicted? Was he leaving the country? What was going on? And the picture with him and like eight or nine other guys in golf clothes with golf carts, but no golf clubs, which made it even more intriguing. And they were standing around talking and people were far and wide sending this photo out. And in the car, kind of, you know, the brain starts working. It's 
occurred to me that the picture with him in the middle reminded me of the, you know, the Last Supper a little bit and the way they were all kind of laid out. And yeah. I came up with the clever The Last Subpoena, which has I captions the photo. And that has gone viral in ways I never thought anything would, especially not when sitting in the backseat of my own car, you know, coming back <laughs> from the doghouse. So that's the behind the scenes. I mean, and how big and viral has it gone? I mean, like Dan Rather is commenting, you know, saying, you know, nice job, Jeremy, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so <laughs> it's still growing. It's almost like 100,000 likes and all that. And then what happens, Marissa, after you have a viral tweet, because I've had a few over the course of my Mr. Newberger, you know, Twitter run, is there's a tremendous amount of pressure on what you tweet next. Because you know it's not going to get not even a fraction of the attention and people who have now joined your following are expecting, Oh, this guy's brilliant. What's he going to say next? And it's always sucky. So (laughs) it's a high and then a immediately sharp downturn into the the doldrums of disappointment. So that's where I'm at now. I'm, you know, depressed for having had a viral tweet. Come on people, give the guy a break. That's how you can't have the last subpoena every day, but you did post pictures of your cat. I noticed and asked yeah. the cat pictures. And that seems to me a really good buffer. You know, you get a lot of lovers of cats in there, a lot of positive cat energy. Mm-hmm. You got a picture yeah. of my cat. I posted a picture of my cat who looks exactly like your cat. It's one of those black fluffy cats. That's <laughs> like I'm either I'm I'm yeah. gonna ki- I'm either gonna kill you in your sleep or I'm <laughs> going to love you until you're covered in my drool. It's that's the way my cat is. Well. My cat, whose name is appropriate to your show, uh, Cannoli, hey. is really the love of my my wife, my two children's life. We The four of us just dote on Cannoli every day, and I can never get enough funny poses out of him. He is just sort of Twitter gold. So when I was feeling the low of what do I do next, I saw him at the end of the bed looking at me, and I said to myself, you know what? Why don't we just get everyone to send cat pictures? You know, how many will that be? Not thinking I was going to have to then go through like 600 cat photos liking or else people will be like, why? You don't like my cat? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did this morning. I woke up with liking people's cat photos. Like, okay, there's buttons. There's mittens. I like it. I like it. I, I don't think you've liked my cat's photo yet. All right. So now, now I'm in dangerous territory because there's a lot of these pictures I have not yet gotten through. People are still sending. So, you know, I'll get to your cat. It's going to take like three weeks. So now I have a new job. Like new cat st- photos. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe you can get a sponsorship from Purina. Um, right. I, let's start making these cookies and yeah. then we, we can um, walk to the other room to get away from the KitchenAid sounds and talk sure. about evocateur a little bit because yeah. it's so relevant. Okay. I'm going to so turn. I've. So we put in it with for the folks playing at home. I've put three quarters of a cup of butter, which is one and a half sticks, and some two thirds of a cup of coconut sugar. And Mr. Newberger is using monk fruit sugar, which if you haven't tried it yeah. and you want to try going sugar free, that I think is your best bet, better than stevia. And I think you'll like it. Has very little aftertaste doesn't have that weirdo coolness that some of those fake sugars have. I'm softening my butter right now. I usually will plop it into the microwave, the sticks of butter, just for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, just Ooh. to soften it up because I'm about to put it in the in the mixer with the sugar and I want the, the butter and the sugar to just kind of become a goop. 
Very interesting. Melting, melting butter versus beating it can have a completely different impact on a cookie can make it very, very thin versus just beating it with sugar and how long you beat it together with the sugar also impacts chewiness and puffiness and so much because chemistry. I will never beat my butter. I just can't bring myself to be a butter beater, but I hear you. It might, it might, maybe I should beat my butter. I don't know what I'm doing. All right. I just plopped the butter down into the mixing bowl and now I've got to measure out the monk, the monk fruit. But I noticed that there's some excess butter that didn't come out of the bowl from my microwave. So I'm going to scoop that real quick. I hope you don't mind me telling you everything I'm doing. No, that's exciting. It's exciting for everyone. Yeah, I'm going to try and, should I do it like Walter Cronkite, like reporting like a a blimp crash or something? Like, this is a crazy day in the New Burger Kitchen. Butter (laughs) has melted after being beaten to a pulp, and now sugar substitute will be added. A day that will live in infamy. Uh, I have to pay attention, though, to how much monk fruit I'm putting in. You said you put two-thirds of a cup in yours? Yeah, because I followed your recipe. Yeah, so I will do the same. I can tell you folks that the, that the monk fruit, a lovely white looking substance, which he promises me is really not sugar and really is monk fruit, is now going into his beater. We shall now retreat to the other room as the mixing yeah, starts. So I, I put, I put the, the sweetener, the monk fruit into the butter and I put the mixer on. That just needs to go for, I don't know, two or three minutes. So we'll step out away from the loud mixer. I'll tell you something. What I learned about monk fruit is it's a Southeast Asian fruit that they kind of extract the sweetness from, and it's 200 times sweeter than sugar. So the brands that sell monk fruit sugar are actually diluting the monk fruit with a sugar alcohol, non-sugar sugar alcohol, that they've tested and said is not going to kill you. I think it's called Xeritol, something like that. says it on the package. So the combination of that sugar alcohol, which is only 40% sweet with the 200% sweetness of the monk fruit ends up being this granular sugar substitute that tastes just the right sweetness. And they also sell this stuff in powdered form and brown sugar form. So I'm pretty much covered. There's a baking monk fruit. There's a put in your coffee monk fruit. And then there's the, you know, put on top of your brownies powdered monk fruit. I, I see that the, the mixture has, has mixed. Now I have my uh, sweetener and, and butter mixture. Do you have yours as well? I'm just walking back into the noisy kitchen. There's kind of this combination that has to happen where you assemble all of your dry stuff <laughs> and all your wet stuff and you mix them together. And, and that's when you know, you're creating your cookie batter. I am now taking two eggs out of the refrigerator. Thank God we have eggs. That was the one thing I didn't ask my wife. Hey, do we have eggs? Which, why would I ask my wife? Because she does the shopping. I don't do the shopping. So <laughs> I do have eggs. So we're in good shape and I'm coming back. But what you really want to do is you're going to, eventually you're going to mix the wet ingredients and the dry ingredients. And this is an absolutely classic it. chocolate chip recipe, save for monk yeah, fruit. Yeah. We're not really like uh, recreating the wheel here, but I suggest that we're combining the dry and wet ingredients together. And it's like you're combining old framed fake Time Magazine picture covers with nuclear (laughs) secrets of your favorite allies. It's kind of like doing that. Uh, So that is what now I need to focus on as I put my egg mixture together. 
You know, I have have made a lot of cookies in my life. I mean, I have a podcast called The Secret Life of Cookies, right? You'd think that I've been doing this. I have never heard it described as putting the old Time magazines together with nuclear. Secrets of your allies? Yeah, I've never heard that. And now I think that's really all I'm going to talk about. And I'm doing this old school because that sort of amuses me. And I'm mixing in my eggs with a wooden spoon. Talk to me oh. a little bit about if you can do, okay, I'm sure you can multitask. We're going to cast our I'm mind. Not only, I'm, not, I'm not only cooking and doing this podcast, but I'm also painting the kitchen while, while I'm doing this. So I have, <laughs> it, it's you know, true. Twice exactly. But go he's on, also, yeah. He's also learning Spanish using Babbel. Right. <laughs> I want to talk about like your most recent film at some point, but I think your film Evocator about Mort Downey Jr. Yeah. is so relevant to where we find ourselves today. When you, you so 2013, you make this, or 2012, I mean, I don't know how long it took you to make it. You make this documentary. It's all about the life of the literal loudmouth talk show host who sort of broke the mold, after, you know, in the 80s attack talk television, I guess. Right. And he made a really big name for himself. It ends up being sort of a very sad story, but on his show, in your, I mean, on his show, and then in your documentary, we start seeing all these people that we will then see again later, like Judge Napolitano and Howard McCain, may he rest in peace. We see, you You even interviewed Alan Dershowitz and yeah. I, I want to quote him. I want to quote him from your film. By the way, he was wearing his pants when I interviewed him. I was just going to ask you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, the oldies. The there goodies. was no happy ending to our interview. <laughs> we, we left his co-op in Miami and uh, it will you, got out of, you got out of there. That's good. Yeah. Um, but Prince Andrew on the other. No, he Different. said, he said, and this is just glorious that it came out of his mouth. There are no repercussions from making yourself look like a fool on talk television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't and do you, do you think he still believes that statement? Uh, I don't know if he believes it still, but he'll definitely say it still. I think <laughs> the guy was a little demystified for me. I have to say that when I was young, I was watching the Morton Downey Jr. show. Mm-hmm. And Alan Dershowitz was a frequent guest. And he would stand up to racists and, you know, I anti- know. Uh, Semi. So when Alan Dershowitz says something like that back then, I didn't think twice about it. I just, you know, believed it was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a hero. But he's proven himself to be quite the opposite, hasn't he? Exactly. I I had this same sort of come to Jesus, as it were, about him. And the other person who features very prominently in the in Mort Downey Jr.'s talk show is Mr. Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al Sharpton, who yeah. as, it's as if he went into like the witness protection. It's as if he went into witness protection, right? And right. he came out a completely changed man. I guess for your audience's sake, you know, there was this guy, Steve Pagonis, who among three others was accused of raping a young black teenager in Wappinger Falls, and not only raping, but smearing uh, racial epithets on her body with feces, this terrible, terrible accusation of crime up in upstate New York. And then it eventually came out that the girl 
did this to herself. And Al Sharpton and a few other lawyers, Vernon Maddox and uh, Mason's name, like Aldous, Aldous, I can't remember the names anymore. Mason. Uh, Maddox, Mason, Sharpton. (laughs) Alton Maddox. I remember that one. Alton Alton Maddox. Maddox, right. They became the de facto cases of Tawana Brawley, which is the name of the young lady's side of the story. And Sharpton himself would go on Morton Downey Jr.'s show. And it was almost like they were doing a performative ballet you know, with Sharpton saying she's, she was raped and with Morton Downey sort of questioning the story or at least taking advantage of the story. I think Roy Innes, who was the African-American conservative organization called Core Leader, he was mm-hmm. known for two things back then. One was being the guy that threw the chair, I think, at the skinhead yeah. that broke Geraldo's nose. And the other was <laughs> pushing Al Sharpton over on his fat ass <laughs> on the stage of the uh, Apollo during a Morton Downey Jr. show. And I actually was, I was able to get Roy Innes to come to our Harlem screening of Avocateur when it played the <gasps> theater up in Harlem, uh, which was really cool. Roy Innes, uh, when I picked him up to come to the theater, he was like a frail old man who had had a stroke. So it was very uh-huh. difficult for him to speak. And I, I had programmed a night where we watched the film, and then he and MSNBC's analyst at the time, Torre, would discuss the you know film and race issues. And the audience was very angry with Roy Innes, and were just screaming, and he couldn't defend himself anymore. He was just sort of a frail old shell of the of the man he was. Back then, he was this towering giant, willing to like fight with Ku Klux Klan guys and you know and Al Sharpton. This film had a lot of guys from the political stratosphere, and some of them did migrate into current day. Ron Paul was one of them, not Rand Paul, but his father, Ron Paul. Right. A very embarrassing appearance on the Morton Downey Jr. show, which we show in the film, where Mort sort of eviscerates him and, you know, says, if we had slime like you in the White House, I'd puke on him or something like that. You know? That's exactly uh, what he says. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the clip in my head so many times. Uh, so this was, I'll tell you the the reason. Well, first of all, I, I must or else we'll never have anything cooked. I'm now going to put the almond flour, baking soda, and salt, and we'll. I guess, Marissa, you'll provide uh, measurements to your audience. I will, and I. You can always find the um, recipe on my Substack, MarissaRoadcuff.com, and there'll always be a link in Twitter somewhere. But it's three cups of almond flour, a half a teaspoon of baking yeah. soda. And a half a teaspoon of kosher salt, plus a right. whole a whole b- bunch of sugar-free chocolate chips. For me, I'm using a vegan chocolate chip called from the company that's called Who, and they're seventy percent cacao. So I'm not going totally T2 diabetic, but I am going sort of more healthier take on the cookie, which I think many of the people who listen to me will be like. Thank God, Marissa. Jeez, are you okay? You eat so I many say sweets. That, uh, I, I usually let the batter mix, you know, the wet and the dry before I add the chips. But when you add the chips, it's very important. You're going to want to bury the chocolate chips nice and deep into the batter, almost like you're burying top secret documents in your first wife's golf course sarcophagus. So get them nice <laughs> and deep and buried. Now, now, Jeremy, that seems to me a bit of a far-fetched concept. Who was it? Somebody on Twitter was like, it only took eight people to carry the queen's lead line coffin or six or whatever. And it took 10 to carry Ivana. How did that happen? Right. Why? Yeah. And she weighed, she was a slip of a woman. Yeah, okay. At, tiny, at right? this, she was teeny tiny. 
at this point in the adventure of podcasting, we will take a quick break and then transition to the special for subscribers only section of the podcast in which we reveal incredible secrets about the future and humanity and the winning lottery ticket numbers. So please stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Jeremy Newberger on The Secret Life of Cookies this week. You can follow Jeremy on Twitter at Mr. Newberger, and I'll post the recipe in my substack, marissarodkopf.substack.com. Thanks, and have a great week. <laughs>